Welcome to today's Software of Excellence video. We're delighted to welcome Ben Fluitt, Managing Director, SOE, and his colleague and UK's General Manager, Nick Davies. With so many disparate challenges facing the profession at the moment, we wanted to ask Ben and Nick to give us their thoughts on the issues of the day and shed some light on solutions that dentists and their teams might consider to help them through these turbulent times. Start with the dentistry in 2022. It's fair to say we live in a pretty crazy time in the world, right? I think the challenges that we see in dentistry this year are certainly new and nothing that I've personally seen in dentistry in the last 10 years. We're in a position where the market is going through a huge amount of turmoil on a backdrop where we're seeing that same in the kind of wider economy uh, in the UK. You know, we're in a position now where we're, we're seeing general inflation last month running at 9%. Uh, we've been at low single-digit inflation and base rates since the economic crash, since 2007. So there's been a lot of people that are coming through and have never seen inflation like this in their entire adult life. Right. It's very clear that NHS funding is not keeping pace with inflation, let alone wages, which seem, yeah, I think there's all evidence to suggest that wage inflation is running ahead of CPI inflation. The NHS funding is compounded a little bit by the, the fact that the NHS uplifts each year over the last few years have been slightly below inflation, although inflation has been quite low. Yeah, right. But now that's being compounded year after year by this sudden spike in inflation where the NHS funding really isn't keeping up. So we've been gradually going underwater for a number of years and now we're sort of really being plunged underwater. And there's a backdrop of that where... We've had two years where people have been constrained significantly in their lives because of coronavirus. They've had more money uh, going into their pockets and they're spending significantly less money. How many you know, of us haven't been on holiday for the last, or proper away holiday for the last 18 months or so? Um, you know, and this means that there's actually a little bit more money going around in the general population that people are now spending on things that they want to spend the money on. And one of those areas is cosmetic work, including in dentistry. What we definitely see um, is uh, coming coming back to the data that we capture in, uh, in our systems from the, the practices that allow us to see this data, uh, is that um, a, a dramatic shift a dramatic shift in um, patient numbers. So um, year on year, NHS dentistry uh, numbers or number of patients seen in NHS dentistry is down 20%, which is a huge number. But we're only seeing a 5% increase in the number of patients being seen privately, which suggests to me that there's a 15% movement here, right? So there's 15% of patients are going to somewhere. Or, and, and not being seen at all. I think what, what this means is that for dental practices, for dental practice owners, the business of dentistry has quite fundamentally changed. The focus has moved away from being the attraction and retention of patients as it was in 2019 for most practices, certainly for private, to attracting and retaining staff. We all see in the news at the minute the uh, 
quite high profile uh, pictures of all of the um, NHS patients that are just unable to get in to see dentists. There's a big problem with access across the UK at the minute for NHS dentistry. Um, similarly, a lot of those patients who have the ability are moving privately, which means that the you know, dentists that have private capacity have then been um, inundated with patients. So I think you're exactly right. You know, uh, retaining patients is, it has, in the immediate past, been less of an issue. Um, now, the key thing is once you've got all of those patients, you then need to ensure that you can keep hold of them. The market will normalise. The market will come out of this unstable period and we'll get back into a sense of, Ill, you know, the adjustment will happen and then you'll be looking at uh, ensuring that you retain your patients, um, you know, beyond the current circumstance. It's quite interesting how we see uh, practices responding to this. Now, I think um, what we see in some of the, particularly in the private practices, I think one of the really smart things that we see a reasonable proportion of our patient, uh, of our, excuse me, of our customers doing is they're starting to think about how they manage their patient bases through this time uh, in order to capture a greater proportion of private customers. So the, uh, I would suggest perhaps some of the more forward-thinking ones are starting to revisit their uh, recall intervals for their private patients, starting to extend out uh, recall intervals for private patients in good oral health um, to beyond the, the traditional six-month period, out to 12, 18, and 24 months. And, um, uh, and that is, of course, providing them with greater or more free clinical time in an environment where there are a very large number of private patients looking for dentists. It's, it's allowing them to capture a, a larger group of patients, cohort of patients, um, and get them into that practice's ecosystem. So that as we move back to perhaps a more normal environment in which attracting and retaining patients becomes a priority again, they then have a, a larger patient base that they're able to um, adjust how they care for those patients. And I think, I think that's a key point there. If you're, you know, if you're looking at your patient base and you've got patients that are in good oral health and clinically can absolutely sustain a 12 or an 18 month recall rather than the usual six months that we see across the industry, um, we certainly see in, in the data in a lot of the practices that if you move those patients out to 12 months, that patient still considers themselves absolutely to be a patient of that practice. They have their next appointment booked a year out rather than 12, six months out. But because they're, they're there, they're no longer on the market looking for a dentist. They feel that they've got their dentist. They feel that they're covered. Um, but this enables the practice to, like you said, expand their patient population to ensure that they can take, you know, take the number of private patients they see up from, I don't know, three, four thousand to five, six thousand on a managed basis. Yeah. In addition to that, you know, with the move from NHS patients who had historically been on the NHS, but now find that they've got that little bit of extra cash and they want to invest in their oral health privately. On average, our customers have seen 30% private revenue increase where they do private dentistry. But there are plenty of our customers that are achieving 50, 60, 70, 100% private revenue increase over the last 18 to 24 months. That's an astounding growth within those practices um, of private dentistry. If you consider what's happening in the wider UK population, there is a huge proportion
proportion of people that cannot get dental care. And we as an industry, and when I say we, I mean dentists as an industry, um, we have to find a way to serve the population at large. And it is, in my view, quite reasonable to see patients that are in good oral health less frequently in favour of being able to make the dental capacity that we have got available to um, a wider proportion of the population. Um, you know, I think that is a very reasonable response in those circumstances. And the key point that I've seen in discussions that I've had um, with dentists is that yes, you can push a you know a recall interval for a um, you know a patient that's got good oral health to 12, 18, 24 months. But when you next see them, there's absolutely no reason why if their oral health has deteriorated, you can't shorten that back to six months again, or even shorter if you need to get on top of a specific clinical issue. So the fact that you're moving, it's not like everyone all of a sudden has to go to 12 months, irrespective. It's, you know, the, I think the point of moving the recall intervals out is to ensure that you have a managed list, some that might be three or six months because their oral needs are quite high, and some which will be on 12 or 18 months because they're you know, in very stable oral health and just need to ensure that they're not deteriorating at that slightly longer interval. So just coming back to the question of how we as an industry respond to the, the crisis that we have in the post-COVID world about how we service uh, the UK population with a diminished dental capacity and a backlog of need. Um, and then thinking specifically for a moment about the, the NHS piece, I think as we've started looking at how we can help customers through this, I think there's, there's a few really big takeaways for me, but perhaps the biggest is, you know, as we start looking into those numbers, what we see is that um, the average year-to-date UDA performance is sitting at 70%, which is dramatically lower than what we would normally expect to see. This, that's versus contract. So it's dramatically lower than what we would expect to see in any normal year. And I think it's important to just call out, that's the average we're seeing across all, you know, our entire customer base. That's not like the lowest performing. That's, that's the average. That's the average. Against, against the proportion of customers that allow us to see this data. The, the interesting corresponding point here is that the average utilisation across that cohort of practices of clinical time is 73%, which suggests that... Whilst, of course, you're never going to get clinical time and utilisation to 100%, that's not, that, that is not ever going to happen. But the gap in UDA target is approximately matched by the um, unused clinical time that exists in, surger in the surgeries in question. So if we were able to work in a more efficient way in the practice, there is a substantial opportunity for us to, to meet that unmet demand and, and get back towards the targets that have been set by the NHS. I think that's something that we see with the customers that are working with us on our customer success program is now probably more so than any time in recent history, is a time when diary management and diary zoning is going to be more important than ever. Absolutely. I think it's critical that dental practices find the right balance between doing exams and enough exams to ensure that they've got adequate patient access, both private and NHS, but then also find and allow the time for them to complete the treatment uh, that is then subsequently needed. 
So from an NHS perspective, this also ensures that you're doing the right balance of just one UDA uh, course of treatments after the other, but also balancing that in with your three and your 12 UDA uh, course of treatments uh, as well. But from a private perspective, it's seeing you know the right number of patients on your examinations, but then also balancing that out with the you know higher value, certainly higher revenue per hour uh, clinical work that you'll want to do on top of the examinations. And it's about finding that right balance. And I think now the key thing is it's not just about revenue adjusting either for UDAs or for uh, you know private income, but it's about finding that right balance for patient access and ensuring that you're growing your patient base uh, where appropriate or seeing your patient base that you've already got, um, you know, maintaining that. And I think that that's now more important than ever. On top of that, one of the things that we're also seeing that's contributing towards that 70, uh, 73% chair time utilisation is short notice cancellations and fails to attends are actually spiking. You know, we're seeing more uh, short notice cancellations and fail to attends now in this post-COVID era than we did in pre-COVID times. You know, there's a lot more flux, there's a lot more randomness going on and patients are just not turning up as much as they used to. So it's also critical that you have the best communication practices to ensure that we minimise that and that we're not seeing across the industry just wasted time because we're not effectively communicating with patients. You know, our best practices that we're seeing on the customer success programme are seeing uh, cancellation rates and short notice cancellations and fail to attend rates of way under 1% and they have much, much higher diary utilisation. So better use of that scarce resource of clinical and staff time but, you know, versus the average where we're seeing 5-6% um, of time wasted because of uh, short notice cancellations and failed attempts. Staying on the theme of diary management for a moment, if you are an NHS practice, you, 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 you live in a world where CPI is running at 9%, Wage inflation is running ahead of that, and you have your your ability to earn revenue per UDA is is, is capped. Um, the only thing that you can really do in order to lift your um, average hourly rate to respond to that um, is is to manage your diary more effectively um, in favour of restorative work. And again, you know, this actually benefits patients as well. If, if it allows you to spend a greater proportion of your time uh, on patients with higher need at this time, um, perhaps in favour of a little less prophylactic work, then actually, there's an argument to say that does make sense. So obviously with the NHS, you are not really able to change your UDA uh, you know, rate. But so what you can do through that diary management is then just be able to increase the number of UDAs you're able to do per hour, therefore you're increasing your revenue per hour purely through diary management whilst still maintaining the same level of patient care. I think you're exactly right. One of the things that I really believe is that this period of time, perhaps more so than, than any time that I've been involved in the industry over the last 16 years, um, it's become really critical, as you say, it's, it's all about diary management and diary management is all about effectively managing forward cover. So you want to be thinking out six weeks and beyond and what you, what you want to be doing is filling an appropriate proportion of your time and having spent a lot of time looking at this, we've always coached 50% 
six weeks. So you want to have about 50% of your diary time full six weeks out so that you've got good recall cover. In this environment, you could, you could probably look to bring that down a little bit, maybe 40%, because it is reasonable to assume that a greater proportion of the patients that you'll be seeing for checkups will have restorative need. And so there's probably a little adjustment there that, that's possible. You could possibly bring that down to 40% or so. But broadly speaking, you look at around half of your time that right. should be booked six weeks out. I think the key point there, if you look at if we look at how dental diary dental practice diaries are being structured at the moment, it shouldn't be significantly more than that fifty percent, and that's something that we're seeing, and that gives the perception in the practice that you're doing you're running on that hamster wheel all the time. You never got any available time because you're constantly booked up by doing one type of work, exam after exam after exam, versus finding that right balance. If you think about the uh, treatments you've, or the appointments you've typically got uh, booked six plus weeks out, they will likely be exams that you're booking you know, ahead that you've booked when the patient leaves or the recalls that you're uh, slotting in. But that then gives you the, if you stick to the 50%-ish rule, then that gives you when you see those patients that need to come back for a filling, a crown, bridge, so on and so forth, it gives you the opportunity to book them in in a timely manner. And you're not having to say a patient owed to a patient that you need a crown, no problem, come back in three, four, five months' time yeah. because you're just solidly booked up with exams in the meantime. And particularly in a private world, you just cannot do that. You know, that's uh, that's a great way to lose your patients and practice down the road. You may be managing the diary a little more effectively, right? So, And even from an NHS perspective, because you're not finding that appropriate blend of UDAs per hour, you're, you know, you'll typically will be, uh, you know, finding that you're doing a lot of single um, single UDA band one courses of treatment without balancing that in with your uh, you know band twos and threes. One of the really um, interesting things that we have seen, particularly over the last 12 months, not so much in the early part of, of COVID, but really in the last 12 months, is a dramatic increase in average hourly rate, we've seen average hourly rates um, increase by about a third in private dentistry. And I think that's been driven by two things. I think, first of all, uh, it is to a degree being driven by a change in the, in the mix uh, of work that the private practices are doing in favour of restoration, so less prophylactic work, more uh, restorative work. And that, of course, has an impact, um, and, and of course also perhaps some more cosmetic, but I think it is also being driven uh, to a degree by a simple price review. Um, so uh, it, it is worth considering in an environment where, um, see, where inflation is running at 9% and your staff wages are running higher than that, it, it really is worth considering your pricing to enable you as a practice owner to pay what you need in order to have great staff to run your practice. Um, it is absolutely worth considering your pricing. One of the themes that has really come up recently in almost every discussion that I've had with um, clinicians and with practice owners, and indeed with corporate groups as well, um, is that of reputation management. 
and I think compounded with the fact that if you look in the you know in the news, there's all of the uh, all of the news about the pressures that NHS dentistry in Pacific is going through at the minute, yeah, and that yeah. isn't necessarily painting the best view of the you know the industry as a whole. You know, so how do dental practices as individual entities maintain their reputation amongst all of this pressure uh, from the media and just the general need for dentistry right now in the country? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, um, really big question for many practice owners at the moment. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a few key points to it. So I think the first is it's really important to measure your reputation so that you are able to proactively understand which pieces of your patient journey through the practice uh, are, are not where they need to be. Um, and once you measure it and start to focus on it with your team, you have the ability to really positively influence it. I think that's a key point there as well, because you know we've all talked uh, about driving, uh, you know, reputation, driving reviews, getting those Google reviews, getting those Facebook reviews, getting those NHS Choices reviews to ensure that you, you know, maximise the um, the brand value of your practice. Um, you know, we're, we we live in a world now where. Um, you know, someone googling a, a business and looking at the reviews—that's the—that's the norm. So that I think that that is just as important uh, as it ever has been, if not more important now, as patients uh, interact with practices more digitally. But I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head for me, which is it's not just about driving those reviews, but it's about looking at the information that you're getting back from your patients and understanding what you're doing really well, and you can then maximise that market that and ensure that you maintain that um, that great positive piece of work in the practice but also where you might have gaps where patients are leaving you know leaving you four rather than five stars you talked about online reputation management uh, and <clears throat> i think it's, it's widely accepted that the key to managing online reputation management is to have an expression of satisfaction from a wider part of your customer patient base so typically what you get, um, particularly on social media, is the view of your practice very often will be unfairly, unduly influenced by a very small proportion of unhappy uh, patients. And the, the secret to, to dealing with that is, of course, to bring a much more balanced view to that social media forum. So... Um, in particular, what you're trying to do is get a far greater proportion of your patients to express their views online so that you uh, have a much more rounded view and to a degree, you, you, you bring balance to that very small number of unhappy patients that might be out there. And I think you know, the key thing is to ensure, you know, to get that right balance of all of the, you know, if you have a good experience at a place, you're like, yeah, okay, that was fine. If you have a bad experience at a place, you're far more likely to do something about it and go and rant online. Um, so it's about finding that balance. The way that you find that balance is to systematically ask your patients as they go through the courses of treatment and their appointments. And the best way of doing that and ensuring that you're doing that all the time and without having to worry about it at all is through automation. If you can do this automatically, you're not loading up, you're not burdening the staff with any more work, you're not having to ask them to you know, gather more information from patients as they're leaving the practice, you're getting this done automatically. And that's the key thing, because you can then rely on it to happen all the time without putting additional pressures on the dental team. Automatically and with very, very little effort from the patient. That's the key piece, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. You're still, still maintaining that patient, that great patient experience. Yeah, that's, that's a real focus for our solutions. Um, I think the last point I would make in respect of managing your online reputation is, again, it comes back to what we talked about a little earlier. It's about, it's about having time to spend with your patients. Um, even if something does go a bit wrong, because in dentistry, sometimes, it doesn't matter how good a dentist you are, sometimes things go wrong, right? And if you have had just a little bit more time to engage on a personal level with your patients to establish rapport, establish a relationship, it is far more likely that the patient will come back to you personally and give you the opportunity to correct the problem uh, rather than take to social media or file some sort of complaint. Yeah, you, you have a far greater opportunity to, to manage, manage your online reputation and that in turn means far less stress and pressure on the clinicians involved in, uh, in any issue that might occur. And I think that's a key point. I think if you think about any brand interaction you have across any industry, not just dentistry, but where everything goes perfectly well, as planned, it's like, yeah, okay, that went as planned. That kind of met my expectations. Whereas, you know, if something doesn't go quite right, but you've got that personal touch and it was dealt with and it was, you know, that, that slightly askew situation was then recovered from, then all of a sudden those people have gone over and above your expectations. And you end up with this, you know, patients that are much more of a promoter of your dental practice than they would have been had everything gone correctly. So allowing your staff just to have that little bit of extra time, whether it's clinical or front of house uh, team, just to have that little bit of extra time with patients to understand what's going on, uh, really does have a huge benefit to your uh, practice's reputation. Uh, and the key thing is just allowing your staff to be able to do that by offloading all of the mundane. routine, mundane, repeatable tasks such as sign this bit of paper please or can you fill out this form or so on and so forth all of this stuff absolutely you must do but can be done by the patient ahead of time Many thanks to Ben and Nick for their considered and enlightening opinions. We hope you found their conversation interesting and informative. If you're interested in hearing more about how Software of Excellence can help your practice, contact us by visiting softwareofexcellence.com.